Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Transformations with Jane's podcast. I'm Jane Nakata, your host, a coach for women and a event coordinator here in northern Japan. So today, I would love to introduce to you the uh, interview we have with Kat Nakamichi. I'm super excited to bring you this interview, and we had a lot of fun trying to record this interview, actually, because everything was happening in the background. We had phones ringing and doorbells ringing. <laughs> it was such an uh, interesting episode to record, let's just say. So you may hear the odd um, dog bark, etc. So excuse that we couldn't, we edited out quite a few of the interruptions, but some of them we just couldn't and um, those are still there, but not to worry. That is life. We like to keep things real here on the Transformations with Jane podcast. Also, um, I'd like to tell you quickly about my next program, which is coming up and people can start registering for that right now. If you're listening to this in um, when it comes out on in February, then you are in time to register for the Women in Japan Mastermind. And so you might be wondering, what is a mastermind? Well, that's kind of a word. It's sort of a word that's used in the entrepreneurial world, especially the online entrepreneurial world. But what it is, is basically um, a group of people who come together with their own thing that they're working on. Maybe it's an online business, maybe it's a certain project, or it could be something in their house that they want to get finished. And But just doing it by themselves, nothing happens because it gets pushed to the back all the time. And people are focusing on the things that they have to do for other people, um, like, you know, just, you know, keeping your, your house in order, keeping your family fed, maybe going to work or something. And these projects or these important, um, you know, steps forward with their business don't happen because they're not making it a priority. So by joining a mastermind, what you do is you give yourself the accountability that you need. And you also get a lot you get access basically to a whole range of knowledge from your fellow mastermind members so I really encourage um, the people in the mastermind to help each other um, to you know if they say well actually I do know something about about what you're struggling with here let me spend you know some time with you talking about it and so we can really gain from the collective knowledge of the people in the group and experiences as well. So I'm really looking forward to starting this particular mastermind because I've noticed that for us English speakers, we tend to look overseas to certain coaches or teachers. And if they're in America, which I've been working with two amazing coaches in the for the last year or so, um, who have been who are actually in America, the calls are like at 4am, uh, 5am. At the moment, I'm working with um, a coach, Jim Fortin, and I'm lucky that his calls are at 6am. That's a huge improvement. But um, yes, I know other people who are getting up at 3am to join calls for certain um, coaching or masterminds. So I thought, why don't I create what's missing, which is something for people here in Japan 
at a reasonable time of the day. <laughs> so if you're sick of getting up at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. to join calls overseas with um, other English speakers, then this is for you. And this is also for you if you are looking for a mastermind where people are being the change they want to see. And this is a phrase that I've been using recently to ex sort of express what it is that I'm really f feel is super important. And that is people who are actually going out and doing the things to, to create the change they want to see in the world. So, you know, for example, I've talked about um, creating, you know, a, a business where women can work flexibly from their homes or in an office, but it's up to them, you know, completely flexibly so that they can have an interesting job and a good income. And also they can be there for their families when they need to be. Now in Japan, that is pretty tricky to come by. And it's especially tricky to come by if you live in this part of Japan where I live in northern Japan, where you know, the, the way of working is still very much how it's always been. Go to the office, stay late, drive halfway across the city for, you know, at least 30 minutes and then back again, you know, waste an hour of your day in a car, that sort of thing. So the change I want to see is that women can have access to working from home when necessary, or, you know, um, a mix of working in an office and working from home. So that sort of, um, employment. So that's what I'm trying to create with my own business at the moment. So if that resonates with you, then definitely scroll like in this, what you're listening to this episode in the show notes of this episode. So if you're using an iPhone and iTunes, just um, scroll down and you should find the show notes for this episode. You'll find a link there. Click on that link and it'll take you to my sign up page if you want to hear more about this. And um, yeah, more details will come to you very soon once you sign up for that. And yeah, just let me know that you're interested because the you know the more people we have in our in the mastermind, the the more value for everyone. And the value is also in the group as well. And one more thing that I wanted to mention was that I'll be taking on two possibly three one-to-one -one clients. So the reason I've started decided to do this is because um, it's a small world. Yeah, and some people just really feel like they need the privacy of working one-to-one -one with someone. So if that's you and you'd prefer to work one-to-one, -one, then please do get in touch with me. Um, you can find me on at Jane Nakata on Instagram or Transformations with Jane on Facebook. It's, hey, hey, Jane, I'm interested in your one-to-one -one program. Um, but I really do recommend the the mastermind where you can really value from everyone's input and um, learn from you know other people's um, learning opportunities. Let's call it instead of calling in mistakes, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, difficulties, that sort of thing. We can all share our knowledge and our experiences. So let's get on with today's um, interview with Cat. Cat is. Uh, from Australia, but she is also um, a British national as well as Australian. She came to Japan nearly more than 20 years ago, I think she said, and she has been a, a golf caddy <laughs> and then moved into teaching English and is now a translator. And I'd love you to hear about her life 
living in a very a sort of traditional rural setting in Japan and how she manages that. There's a lot of value in this episode. So yes, I hope you enjoy the interview with Kat. Here we go. Welcome to the Transformations with Jane podcast, Kat. It's great to have you here today. Hi, Jane. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you on. And so, Kat, you are down in Osaka. How's the weather down in Osaka today? It is beautifully sunny, but freezing cold. Well, it's probably not as cold as it is for you, mind you. (laughs) Let's see if I can beat you with it. I think it's about what would you say about three degrees here today probably oh i think we've got five but feels like one sort of a situation it's oh, very it's windy mi- it's minus two and it's very windy here so yeah um feels like minus three yeah and well we've got snow on the on the weather report for tomorrow which i oh, know for saturday which i find is a little odd because it doesn't normally snow here We've got it for yeah. We've got it for tomorrow or Saturday, which it rarely snows here. Yeah, so it must be that time of the year. I think exactly a year ago it would snowed. Um, so yeah, it must be one of those <laughs> the snowy times of the year. And I'm actually off to Tokyo tomorrow for a, a quick day trip. So I'm hoping right. that, that my day trip doesn't get interrupted with. Oh snow. no. Mm, but hopefully that's going to be on Saturday. <laughs> Snowing. <laughs> Stay away, stay away. Stay away, that's right. Do not snow. Do not interrupt my exciting one-day trip to Tokyo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm leaving the Tohoku for a day. Yeah. So, Kat, for those of my listeners who do not know you, please tell us a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, what you do. Where I'm from, what I do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, (laughs) I'm a British Australian. Um, I was born in Australia. I sort of lived um, several years of my life in both countries. I think now I've spent longer in Japan than I did in either Japan, either Australia or England. Right. So <laughs> I'm not quite sure where I belong now. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I've been here 23 years. 23. Now. Right. 23. Uh, I, a translator, Japanese to English translator, and I work mainly on uh, technical or medical texts, but I have also um, just published a book, co-authored a book uh, that was, went on sale in June last year, and that was on uh, traditional Japanese handicrafts. So that was a, a challenge as I was doing that while I was working and um, taking care of the family. Uh, I'm also married to a Japanese. Um, yeah. and it's the name. We yeah. Live, <laughs> yeah. We live uh, right next door to the in-laws. Um, we can't get wet going from our place to their place. Mm. Um, and my mother-in-law is beginning to need more attention uh, she's struggling with memory issues and things mm, like that so, mm. hence i'm facing a lot of changes this year 
Right. A lot of transformations, Jane. Yes, transformations. <laughs> Woo. So there's so many reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast and so many things I want to talk about. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Japan in the first place. How did you come to be here? Oh, you really want this story? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody loves a good how did you come to Japan story. Um, oh, dear. Well, I don't know that it was really much of a conscious decision. Um, I went to university in Australia. I graduated university in what they called the recession that we had to have. So I was under well, overqualified and underexperienced for every job I went for. And I couldn't get a job after university. So my very kind parents said, we'll give you a return flight overseas, go somewhere. So I thought, okay, I'd really kind of like to go somewhere and learn another language. So I spoke German and French at the time. And I wanted to learn a language that didn't use the alphabet. Okay. I actually found work in both China and Japan. And I really didn't have a particular preference for either of them. So I flipped a coin. Wow. <laughs> and that's what brought me to Japan because it came Japan side up. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. I knew very, very little. Um, I think the only words of Japanese I knew were Toyota and Honda. Sure. <laughs> Oh, and Sony maybe, but if that is that Japanese. Mm. <laughs> um, and I taught myself hiragana, to read hiragana on the plane on the way over, mm -hmm. thinking that I would be able to read when I got here. Now, anybody who knows anything about Japan will know that it's very difficult to find anything written in hiragana out in public. <laughs> um, and particularly not whole words. So it didn't really help very much. Mm. Wow, that is a like a huge fate moment in your life. Yeah, a moment of fate. Yeah, that the flipping that coin and you ended up here. And, yes. And and twenty three years later, here here we are talking um, about you flipping that coin. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and I can't imagine what your life might have been like if you if it had been China side up. So when, when you flipped that coin, I don't know if you remember, did you have any sort of feeling like, oh, thank God it's Japan? And I, I know you said you didn't really have any sort of feeling either way, but were, were you kind of like, oh, okay, or, well, that's good. Or, or like, do you remember um, anything about the coin flip? Well, the work I had found, I had found English teaching work in China and uh, working on a golf course as a caddy in Japan. Oh, really? So you... <laughs> so on the one hand, um, I was like, oh boy, I better go and learn something about golf. Right. Which I also knew very little about. But like I said, I had no real preference, no real reason to choose one or the, over the other. And I thought I would have a greater chance of learning a language if I wasn't in an English teaching environment. Right. Yeah, I just assumed you were coming to teach English, but you were coming to be a golf caddy. I was. Wow. So my first Japanese I really learnt were the course descriptions for the customers. Okay. And the greetings, of course. And so you were caddying Japanese people in Japanese? I was. That's really bizarre. 
Like, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. So what does one do as a golf caddy in Japan in, you know, back in the 90s? Was it early 90s or late 90s? It was the early 90s. It was yeah. early to mid-90s. Jeez, um, uh, it's a long time ago. What did we do? Well, we have to describe the each hole to the customers so they knew what they were doing and what they were aiming for and how far they had to hit, what sort of obstacles were in the way. Um, we'd take charge of their clubs and sort of run them the clubs that they needed across fairways and things like that and uh, watch their balls to make sure that we knew exactly which customer's ball was where. Right. Which were very frustrating when customers would use white balls when playing in snow. Okay. <laughs> kind customers would use fluorescent pink or orange right. or green, right. but some insisted that you had to work, play with a white ball. Oh, and then they'd say, where is it? It's like, well, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. 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 Never said that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And how long did you do that job for? I did that for about 10 months. Okay. And what happened next? Um, well, I had to renew a visa in order to stay longer in Japan. And the working holiday visa is limited in time. So I needed to get a working visa, which you can't get as a caddy. So I then shifted from then into English teaching. Okay. So how did you become, like, go from not, having any almost any Japanese when you arrived to now being a translator that you know specializes in quite technical subjects hard work mm. yeah <laughs> um, yeah basically when I was caddying and um, even English teaching I was teaching myself Japanese for the most part and I taught myself up to entering my master's degree. So I applied for a master's with Sheffield University. I think uh, there are lots of people in Japan who have a master's from Sheffield. And then that was the first formal teaching I ever had really of Japanese. Okay, so you can do a master's in Japanese from Sheffield University? That's right. From within Japan? Yes, oh, I did my I did uh, my exams and some residentials in England, mm -hmm. but yes. Um, so that was the first real formal training I had in Japanese. So I I guess in a way, if I look back on it, I learned Japanese very much the way people would learn their native language. Yeah, I learned to listen first, and then I learned to speak. And then I learned to read and then I learned to write. Right. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's interesting to, to see that, you know, that way works too. You know, like we don't have to be learning a language from when we're 10 or 11 back in our home country to be able to, you know, be good at it at some point in the future. You know, it, it can be an immersion situation like that. Yeah. Certainly. And I think I had an advantage in that I'd already learnt two second languages. So I had some experience of how to go about second language acquisition. Yes, definitely. Mm. 
I also uh, studied linguistics at university. How did that help you, like the linguistics side? Probably more in analysis of my own mistakes. Right. The things that people were sort of telling me were wrong. Not that the Japanese tend to mm. tell you very often when you get things wrong. So it was more along sort of testing, you know, testing things and seeing what happened, you know, what people did when you, when yeah. you did something and when they were happy with it and when they sort of hesitated and sort of, yes, raised an eyebrow a bit. <laughs> yeah. So you knew you've said something wrong, but they wouldn't dare tell you what it was. Very rarely, <laughs> right. you really ask them, was that weird? <laughs> did I just say... And they tell Tuna you no, 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 no. or something. <laughs> because you can open your mouth and say one word in Japan and they think you're wonderful for speaking exactly. Japanese. It's, such, yeah. it's so encouraging an environment here Definitely. Um, to learn. You know, you want to speak more with the people who are so kind to you. Mm, exactly, yeah. We are lucky in that respect. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, there's so many ways to acquire a new language and I know that being in a in the country definitely helps with that and that you just can't escape it and somehow by osmosis you can learn a lot as well um yes. just soaking things up every day as you go about your business so yeah it's if you're aware of what sometimes you're not even aware of it <laughs> and then later you'll be like oh I can read that now for some reason I don't know why but yeah <laughs> I like that yes yes <laughs> Yeah, so um, you eventually you got married, and I'd love to talk a little bit about being married to an eldest son in Japan. Mm. Yeah, and particularly, like, I'm also married to an eldest son, but my situation is quite different from yours because we live so far away from his family. Right. Um, they're in, down in Totori Prefecture. We see them twice a year for a week, and it's not at all the same situation as like you just mentioned where they live, you know, like they can hear you flushing the toilet probably, or, you know, shouting at each other <laughs> well, yes. in the next house, you know? So, um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about like the transition of like coming into that family. How was that back in the, like, how long have you been married now? Altogether? Um, nearly 18 years. Eight Tell, tell, me, tell us how it was for you 18 years ago when you first arrived in your husband's family. To be honest, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Oh. <laughs> no idea whatsoever. Right. Uh, I'm fortunate in that my parents-in-law are wonderfully generous, kind people, and I adore them to bits. And right from the start, you know, they said to me, you know, we'll always talk out problems. Right. And they've always done that. Um, you know, if they've ever mentioned to my husband that they've unhappy with or confused by, or would like me to do something, I will then just sort of stop him talking and I'll go and talk to them directly. Mm -hmm. Um, the extended family, who also, for the most part, live in the neighbourhood, um, they've been somewhat more challenging. Mm. But because my 
husband is the eldest son of the eldest son of the eldest son of the eldest son. Uh, we are the main house. And what my father-in-law says goes. Sure. And um, my parents-in-law never say a bad word out of me about me outside of the house mm -hmm. neighborhood people have told me that they never ever complain about you and i'm just like oh that's nice <laughs> <laughs> i mean on the one hand i think my mother-in-law finds things a bit easy because i'm a completely blank slate sure. i don't have any preconceptions of whether we should be having clear soup or miso soup at new year's if she tells me it's miso soup i'm like oh, okay it's miso soup whatever yeah. <laughs> um you know if she tells me i have to cut something a certain way i tell her to you know to show me how to do it and i do it that way yeah so you know i'm very easy to make the same color as as her as far as everything mm. um traditional and sort of um that we need to do event wise and family wise is concerned. You know, I just do as I'm told. Yeah. Uh, the only thing is that she really has no idea what she needs to tell me. Right. <laughs> Which, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm quite often told to watch and do, and I'm like, what am I watching and what am I doing? Mm. Yes. <laughs> right. So she doesn't know what you don't know, obviously, because the cultural right. difference right yeah right and they've had my parents-in-law that is have had a fairly insulated life my mother-in-law's um her the house that she came from is about 15 minutes drive away wow. um, my father-in-law of course has been here all of his mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. and his parents never knew anything else they, they have traveled a bit but it's usually the the sort of typical group tour insulated travel sure so they don't really it's not that they don't have an open attitude but they simply just don't have the open knowledge mm. i can totally see that like if because it sound your <clears throat> your um where you live sounds fairly similar to where my parents and law live even though perhaps you're a little bit closer to a big city than they are mm. but yeah just the like live your whole life in one small area and don't necessarily go too far away from it and everybody you know lives near you yes almost yeah and because i just was it you who said that you know pretty much your whole sort of village where you live is people with the same last name is that right yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, our last name is on every second house and the houses without our last name are still relatives it's just where the the uh the women have gone to get married right so okay so ev almost everyone in the vicinity of your house is related to you in some way well not wow. to me but yeah, but, well, yeah to your family it's your husband's family <laughs> um wow yeah interesting that's so there must be yeah really interesting um place well i'm going to call it a place to live <laughs> sort of well yeah, yeah it's it's um it's interesting community wise mm. um again because of my parents-in-law's standing i've been welcomed into many areas um i or i help every year with the festivals um 
you know, um, and get involved in community events and things like that. But there are some things that I can't do. Well, or uh, it's not so much, well, I feel like I can't. And it's not a physical can't. It's a can't because I can't help with um, local elections mm. and things like that because I don't have the right to vote. I really feel like mm. me riding around in a bus and calling out to people, asking them to vote for so-and-so mm -hmm. is the wrong thing to do because I don't have the right to vote mm. and telling people that they do, they should need to go and vote for this person. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally inappropriate. Um, however, um, my old landlord in the neighborhood is our current city mayor. And one of my husband's second cousins is on the city council. So the whole neighborhood is um, roped in to helping out and campaigning and, and things like that. Mm. And I'm like, well, the only thing I can do is stay at home my parents can go my parents in law can go and assist but they're getting right. much older now and not physically capable of assisting for very long so there's a little bit of a gap there that appears mm -hmm. and yeah I can imagine like for example when someone passes on in your community it's a huge thing like um yes like like several days of cooking and <laughs> visitors and yes. that you're involved in all that sort of thing as well yeah yes what would you what advice would you give to someone who is about to embark on your um like something similar yeah marrying someone in a in a village where you know that family life is extremely important um well, I'm going to presume that if you're going to make, if you're thinking about making that choice, you are extremely keen on the person you're choosing. Yeah. <laughs> it's hopeful. Um, uh, in, the, in that case, I think the only thing you can do is be very open and communicate. And if you don't have the language ability to do that yourself directly, you're going to have to be very, very careful of everybody mm. um, because it means that you are going to have to care for everybody's relationships. I mean, I choose to leave my husband out of discussions with my parents-in-law to keep both his and my relationship strong and also his and their relationship strong. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to choose between us. Right. Um, but I'm fortunate in that I can communicate very smoothly with my parents-in-law. Yeah. And if you don't have that communication, go get it. <laughs> put the effort in, put it in, mm. put the effort in to acquire the language. And in a guess, in a way you need to play a role of the obedient wife, I guess. Um, which I do to a certain degree and in certain situations, mm -hmm. but it's mainly outside of our houses that that sort of situation would arise. Right. And my parents-in-law don't expect that of me in the house or at home mm -hmm. 
They know if I don't agree with something that I will argue about it. Mm-hmm. They also know that I argue about it in order to gain greater understanding, a mutual understanding. Mm. But that has taken many years to build up. So really, communication is the, the only way to go. Yeah. And I think for everyone who's in a, a marriage, well, in a marriage, you know, <laughs> communication is important. Um, but yeah, when you have that language barrier, um, it can be, it needs to be even more of a priority, doesn't it, to actually... Right. In any yeah. marriage, you've got two yeah. people who come from different families. Therefore, they have different backgrounds. It's very easy, I think, to forget when you marry someone from even your own community to forget that that family has different values, maybe different beliefs, different things that are important. And it's easier in an intercultural marriage situation to say, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what you mean. I don't know why that's important. And it's easier for the other person to understand why you wouldn't know that, why you wouldn't understand that, why you don't realize it's important. That's true. Yeah. I think that particular issue is much harder to discover in a, in a marriage from the same community. And I think that's where many marriages uh, face major difficulties. Yeah. It's easy to see where there might be, yeah, misunderstandings for us, right? Yeah. Right. Japanese tend to hide feelings, particularly anger, frustration, and disappointment. Mm. And when we first got married, I used to literally force my husband to get (gasps) angry. Mm. Um, and so that it didn't sort of sit in his belly and, and, you know, worse and worse and worse and worse. So I would, I would poke him and poke him and poke him until he would lash out. And it would, it was almost, where was I? Yes. You know, I would, I would force him to get angry and it would almost always be a miscommunication. Well, I didn't know that's what you meant when you said that. Mm, I didn't know that's why we had to do that. I didn't know that that meant so much to your parents. Mm. Um, and, you know, everything would be fine afterwards. But if I let it sit, if I let him sit with it, it would just get, you know, blacker and blacker and nastier and nastier and blow up into something really bad. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that about, you know, your experience because I hope that it um, can sort of bring some shed some light on it to people who are potentially embarking on on that and also for other people wondering is my situation normal like is you know what what is normal so you know it's just nice <laughs> to hear what other people have experienced yeah. and I'm very lucky too I have wonderful parents-in-law who like like yours never say a bad word about me never complain about me even though I am you know, the complete opposite of the, the prodigal, what would you say? Or your mess, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. well, I, I do not fit any my, of the, uh, you know. It took my parents in law four years to come around to the idea of the two of us getting married. Apparently I didn't know this until well after we were married. Once they'd made the decision that, or realized that my husband was totally committed, um, they were 
completely and 100% accepting, but it took them four years. They, they tried for four years to get him to change his mind. Mm. You know, um, if you were the second son, we would love her to bits. Right. Uh, was apparently something that they said to him at one stage. Sure. Which frustrated him a lot, mm. apparently. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's, some, that's interesting, isn't it? Just your birth order can affect how your parents potentially look at your future, you know, future wife. Oh. Yeah. That's mm. not something we're used to from coming from our cultures of New Zealand and Australia and things, definitely. Well, not in the section of that culture that we were in, perhaps, no. I certainly think that exists in both those countries. Mm, not, yes, not from the culture I grew up in anyway. Yes. Right, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now in your family, you have two teenagers. Is that right? I yeah. Do. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd love to hear, and I know a lot of um, people who are listening are also raising kids with, were, you know, attempting to raise their children with two languages in Japan. So, um, yeah, I'd love to hear how, you know, what are some of the things that your family has done to help with maintaining English and, and what I must, well, to me seems like a very Japanese environment where you are in Japan. Um, for, Right from the very start, um, fortunately, my husband is he's a reasonable English speaker. He's not perfect by any means, um, but he tries. And right from when my son was born, um, he would read to him in English. And he mm -hmm. found it difficult to chat to him in English, but he would read to him in English all the time, even as a very, very tiny baby. A lot of people talk um, one person, one language, that sort of thing. In um, our situation, we have one house, one language. Right. Interesting. So we speak English in our house and we speak Japanese in the main house. Mm. Um, so my kids will say, Mom, I'm going next door. And I'll hear them go, Oji, Jaba, Jajamashimas as they go into the house next door. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when the kids were very small, of course, they spent the majority of their time with me. My husband's also the youngest child in his family, so my parents-in-law are quite a bit older. Um, so they didn't have the strength to take care of my two for very long. So right. I'd never leave them for more than an hour with my parents-in-law. So we spoke English all the time. We had English all the time. I had English on the television. I'd never have the, um, the television on in Japanese, for example, mm -hmm. uh, or I'd never have Japanese music on the radio or mm. I, you know, I never sing Japanese songs to them. Not that I'm particularly good at any Japanese songs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my parents-in-law were very, very patient with me. I sort of, I would say to them, just wait till he goes to kindergarten. When he goes to kindergarten, he'll learn Japanese. But for now, it's really important that I get the English up. Right. And, you know, they were very, very patient. Both of my parents um, 
and Laura learned lots of words for sort of fruit and snacks and things in, in yeah. <laughs> so they could offer the kids things. Um, and they really had it shoved in their faces when I took my son and my parents-in-law back to my parents' house in Australia. And my son was quite happily communicating with his other grandparents, much more right. so than the ones he could see every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think that was quite confronting for them, but they never, ever uh, complained, ever. And I think because of that, um, plus I, I was never really, really pushy with English, but I have always insisted on speaking English with my children. Mm -hmm. um, and there are times when they would only speak Japanese back. Uh, my daughter is still very good at that. Um, but somehow or another, they have ended up with grade level English. Mm -hmm. Perhaps a little weak on writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But a lot of the writing I see coming out of uh, native countries these days, my kids might well be doing better. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I sort of, I question the, I do question the need for daily spelling tests because mm -hmm. my kids spell quite well and yet they've never really had a spelling test which I quite find quite fascinating and I think if I went back to university I'd love to study that second language acquisition linguistics issue. right yeah and I also um being with my parents in Australia meaning that school being open during the summer holidays in yes. Japan I would put my kids into school for a month every summer, mm -hmm. which got them involved in the community. It got them involved in activities. It gave them a lot of vocabulary and um, interaction methods and you know, methods of communication that they wouldn't have got if we had stayed in Japan. Yes, definitely. We're lucky, aren't we, to be on the other side of the the world, you know, um, from exactly. you know, the Southern hemisphere and we can do that. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Um, I think in America you can send kids to camp, which I think would be also really good because you wouldn't have yeah, that camp. Really yeah. school situation where they still had homework. So they, mm. you know, my kids would get up in the morning, they do their Japanese homework, they'd go to school, they'd come home, do their English homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, that's really fascinating because I've always wondered, you know, what, how could you deal with that if you were living, you know, in such close proximity to your Japanese family? Yeah. Um, how mm. do you maintain that? Because in our house, you know, we have one parent, one language, but because I'm the, the parent who's around the most, once the kids are home from school, it's English time for a good sort of six, four to six hours every day. Yeah. And like, yeah, like you, we maintain an English environment and that, you know, they only watch English TV shows. We listen to English songs, read English books, do English writing, that sort of thing. And um, it seems to be going reasonably well as long as we do the visits home to New Zealand. Now we're doing it twice a year, actually, because we can at this mm. point. Um, and because I've chosen to be flexible with how I work, um, right. we can go twice a year and I feel that's that's really good too to have um, two bursts of 
the English immersion a year. So far, so right. good because they're still four and seven, you know. Right. Um, it can. It still seems to work, and yeah, we're we're going okay. But yeah, it's it's really good to hear that there are options for people who do have grandparents and things in the near vicinity. You know, like we can. Well, yeah. I think that consistency is probably the biggest thing. Mm. Don't. Uh, I mean, with my daughter, who can be very reluctant to speak in English, I don't flip to Japanese to make it easier for her. Right. Uh, I just keep going in English. Yeah. I'm also assisted now by the She's in uh, year eight now. And she is in a course at school where she does two thirds of her classes in English. Sure. So things are improving rapidly. Mm, that's great. Uh, even though she's the only non-returnee in that class. Right. So it's quite challenging for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think consistency, insisting on always using the one language. And I, I think that passive knowledge, even if the kids are not actually speaking, if they're responding correctly to what's being asked of or told to them, relax in the fact that that knowledge is passive and they will pick it up when they need to. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I always struggled. My, my kids, unfortunately, despite my love of reading and the amount of books and the amount that we used to always read to them, you know, um, they haven't really been big readers themselves, which is a huge disappointment. However, as I mentioned earlier, for some reason, they read quite well and they have good spelling. Well, the only reason I can think of good spelling is being able to read. Right. I'm really not quite sure. (laughs) How they do it. (laughs) When that happened. So, yeah, I think you sort of have to trust in the process and be consistent. And Mm. I've never... Um, you know, forced lots of worksheets on them. Um, you know, if they were interested, we've done them. Or if they wanted to play a certain game, then we've done that. Or if they wanted to, you know, if they wanted to see a certain movie, uh, for example, a couple of years, the movie Sing was out. Mm-hmm. And even though the uh, English language, the, the subtitled version was quite late at night, I insisted that we go to that one. Yeah, and not to the dubbed version. Um, you know that sort of yeah, yeah. The, it, keeping those expectations around the English are important, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome information. So thank you for sharing that. Well, I'm sure lots of people can um, maybe breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> it's probably going to be okay because um, we just don't know, do you? Until you no. get there, right? You just really don't know if this, what you're doing, is this enough? Am I doing the right thing? Oh my God, you know. Um, yeah, and, and the kids, they will find their own way if you, they, this is only, I'm only saying this now because I can look back instead yeah, exactly. of So please, um, please tell us. <laughs> um, they will find their own way if they choose to do so. And maybe it's something that they choose not to do, in which case, Whatever you do, it's not going to make a difference. My daughter, she refuses pretty much to speak a great deal of English to me at home. 
-hmm. But if I'm at her school, she'll speak English to me. Um, if we're, it's just the two of us and we're out in the car for some unknown no reason, she speaks English in the car. <laughs> um, also, I visited her school recently and she was up there in front of 500 people giving a speech in English. Mm. So she's doing okay. Yeah. Maybe I just okay. don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fabulous. Wow. Another thing that was very motivating for my kids was doing the Aiken and getting levels that were well above right. the expected grade level mm -hmm. for achieving those levels. Cool. Yeah. That's um, a, that good was, to know. Yeah. I yeah, sort of thought, Aiken, what a waste of time, but you know, oh, if it's going to motivate them. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. But uh, one thing it does give them is exposure to vocabulary that you wouldn't use at home. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I mean, we don't read environmental texts at home or in books mm -hmm. and things like that. But when you do things like the Aiken, those words come up all the time. Mm -hmm. True. Yes. It does expose them to words we don't normally discuss or. Yeah, that you just uh, don't use in conversation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So speaking of books and words and things. Tell us about <laughs> your book that you you co-authored, yeah? I did. I have a lovely friend and client, uh, Yuko Sangu, who invited me to join the project. I've done a bit of translation work for her. And um, there are three of us on the project, um, an emeritus professor from Dorsetshire University, who has around about 25 books under his belt. Wow. Uh, Yuko and myself. And we did, the aim of the book is to uh, assist mainly Japanese people in explaining certain parts of Japanese handicrafts to people in simple English. Right. So we, it was really, the English is really aimed at around about year nine level English. It's quite simple, short sentences. I've tried to use uh, as, as far as possible um, common words instead mm. of um, technical terms for things, uh, unless it would cause confusion or the technical term really is required. Um, I've also left some of the Japanese terms in the English, so it's possible for foreigners who may use the book to ask questions about things by using the actual word that a Japanese person would understand. Right. So we've tried to, well, it was mainly aimed at Japanese people explaining their own culture. Mm -hmm. It's also hopefully helpful to people who want to learn or want to kick off learning about, you know, maybe um, kimono or uh, shamisen or Japanese houses and architecture or you know, swords or knives and things like that. Wow, cool. Yes. All included, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was so I was going to what's the topics? Like you've got kimono, shamisen, knives. Well, there's, <laughs> um, you know, basically it's... Uh, Living architecture, um, arts, performance arts, um, utensils, trying to bring up all of the Japanese traditional 
crafts and artisans that, I mean, Japan has so many people who have such amazing skills that you just don't see anywhere else. Nobody else can do the things that these people do. Mm, yeah. Um, and it was quite a challenge. The, the two Japanese authors, they, they halved the topics. So they did half each. And then they would send me their Japanese, which I would then read for a basic idea of what they wanted to say and then had to go and research the topic myself wow. to, to go and find out more. Yeah. Um, and then I needed to write the English so it didn't say anything that the Japanese didn't. Mm. In some cases, I really felt that there were things missing in the Japanese that I felt really had to be in English. So we then had to go back and change the Japanese. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was quite a challenging project that took mm. us about a year in total. Yeah, but it sounds like it's been really well received. We've been very fortunate for a, um, what do they call it? A ego hyogen jiten. Um, we sold our first printing within six months, mm. which is apparently quite unheard of. <laughs> wow. Um, so we've just had a second printing. I've actually got the, um, my, my copy from the second print in my hand right now. Okay. <laughs> hey, so um, if someone wants to purchase one, they can get them on Amazon JP. Is that right? When they're available, they are available on Amazon JP. They're also quite often available in, in bookshops, though if you can't find it, you can ask a bookshop to order it in. And I'd almost suggest that's the best way to do it because then you're not paying the transportation costs. costs. Mm -hmm. I also had uh, a friend who lives in New York mention to me that she found it in Kinokuniya in New York. Wow. So it's international. Ah, they're exciting. <laughs> wow. A bilingual book, that's not where you, you know, where you expect to find a bilingual book. So that was very exciting. Yeah. Means someone living over there, ask them to order it in, I presume. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, if wherever you are listening, you can potentially get it anywhere in the world. Yeah, obviously. Um, yes. But, yeah, go and ask for it in your bookshop and get them to send, get it. Yeah, so you can pick it up from your bookshop. And so tell us the name of it again so they know what they're looking for. Uh, the Japanese is Nihon Dento Bunka no Ego Hyogen Jiten. Okay. The English is the Crick Guide to Arts and ha Japanese Art Traditional, sorry, the Crick <laughs> Guide to Traditional Japanese Arts and Handicrafts. And if you put either of those into Amazon, you'll come up with, um, it'll come up on Amazon J Japan. Mm -hmm. and then you can find the ISBN if you need to. Yeah, I'll put a link for that in the show notes so people can just click through and have a look. Oh, and, thank you. That's and that's all good um, to show that in the bookshop or order it on Amazon yourself. And yeah, if you're interested in that. And yeah, I think for people, especially if you're starting out in, in that sort of area like you want to learn about kimono or something but you don't know where to start or what things are called it's probably a great book to get and you might so find I other things that let's talk about uh woven kimono and dyed kimono woven fabrics and dyed fabrics um the styles of kimono that are worn um such as a formal kimono right down to samurai working clothes so styles and things like that yeah it's really intended to just be a kickoff point 
Yeah. So if you don't know, you've got some interest, but you're not quite sure how to go and look for it, hopefully this book will, will give you your kickoff point to, to then go and do some more research yeah. or to ask people questions. Mm. And you never know what else you might discover in the book that might be a tipping off point to something new that you've never Oh, yes, Jane, researching it, I was like, now I need a bingata obi, and <laughs> I need a shiozawa kimono, and I need a yosokiya house. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Because quite often, if you're asking Japanese people, what's this, what's that, they won't know either. They um, don't. So and if you don't know why you've got those... Um, uneven shelves in the in the t main tatami room of a house this will tell you why there are uneven shelves in mm. in that tatami room that's fantastic i have to go and order my copy now i'm fascinated <laughs> <laughs> um yeah because i'm always asking my husband why why or what's this what's that and he is one of the most like not not just i don't know what you use the word um ignorant but like he just does not know anything about Japanese oh my culture. husband doesn't either <laughs> i'm like okay i'll ask your mother-in-law i'll ask your mother then and maybe she'll know because she knows everything but um yeah so frustrating and you want to know my, why my husband called me from his office recently asking me about um knives in sake and swords that are made in um, Hyogo Prefecture. And what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Why are you asking me this yeah, from work? Yeah. And he says, oh, my boss wanted to know. And I'm like, all right, hang on, I'll send you a blurb. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do know. No. <laughs> I do, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. So um, finally, what's, what's coming next for you, Kat? What are you, what are you working on next? Anything? You'd like to tell us about? Uh, I've got a few changes coming up. As I mentioned earlier, I will be um, returning back to the house to work full time freelance as opposed to I've been working in a university for the past five and a half years. Mm. Um, so I'll be returning back to freelance work mainly because uh, we're getting to the stage where my, my mother in law needs extra support mm. and my father in law is struggling. Um, both of them being 80 or, or very close to it. Um, my father-in-law is struggling in being able to do that for her. Uh, so yes, it was a choice between whether my husband came home and did it or whether I came home and did it. But if I come home, I can continue to work. Whereas my husband. Sure. Yeah. Um, so that's coming. So I am about to become an elderly caregiver as well as all the other hats that I wear. Mm, yes. Um, uh, also, I'm involved in organizing the International Japanese English Translation Conference that will be held in Cairns in June. Wow. Um, so that's going to take up quite a bit of time. Mm. And uh, we have another book coming. Oh, excellent. Yes. The initial editors meeting is next week to discuss uh, the final details of how we're going to go about that and our schedule for that. Is it going to be so something similar 
or is it something? It's going to be a little something similar as it's going to be focused on Japanese and culture, but it's going to be more about people than things. Okay. Interesting. I'm quite excited about it. All these people, when you go to, to temples and shrines and they say so-and-so is, is, you know, enshrined here and you're sitting there going, yeah, well, who are they and what did they do? Yeah. Hopefully right. we'll be able to pick up um, a lot, certainly not all, but hopefully we'll be able to pick up some of the major ones that people might have an interest in. That's great. Yeah. Exciting times. That yes, that's going to be very full year the next <laughs> it year. It is. It is. Lots of transformations. Lots of transformations. <laughs> I'll be watching for your transformation cat as always. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and you, sharing so much about your your family and what it's like for you in Japan. And I'm sure that my listeners got a lot of value out of that. So <laughs> thank you. Thank I you. hope so. <laughs> It was very strange talking about yourself for such a long time. But you're right. One hour went very quickly. <laughs> so, yes. And everybody, go and check out this um, cat's book and get your copy. And, yeah, we'll look forward to hearing more about your next one when it's available. That will take a year or so, is, do you think? To Yes, about that, at least a year. At least a year's work. Wow. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. And, Thanks, yeah, all the best with your your year <laughs> You're oh, thank You're you bye 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 So that was uh, the interview with Kat Nakamichi. I hope you enjoyed hearing about her life and because it may be very different from your own. If, if you're living in Japan and living in a big city, that can be quite different from, say, living somewhere more rural and living right next door to your in-laws and having imagine having all of your in-laws' relatives all living right next to you as well, you know, in the same little town. So that's that was a really interesting um interview for me to hear about what that's like and how she's managed to go about it in a very successful way from the sounds of it. Also, as a as a parent with two children and attempting to raise them bilingually in Japan, I love to hear from senpai parents who are a little bit ahead of me in the child raising game and some of the things that they've done to help their kids with their English development. So Kat talked about the one language, one house rule that they, well, the idea that they've been using in their um, environment and how that works really well. And that might work really well for you too if you have um, Japanese family members living um, very near to you and you're, you know, sort of always together, that sort of thing. I noticed when we go to my um, parents-in-law house in Totori that, everything turns into Japanese very quickly in order for other people to understand <laughs> what's happening. Um, and we're quite lucky that here where we live in Tohoku, it's just us and I have a lot of time with the kids one-to-one -one when they get home from school to really talk to them and work with them in English. So, um, yeah, it was interesting to hear about that one house, one language idea. And we do the one parent, one language um way here at my house as well so yeah there are so many different ways and you just need to find what works for your family obviously and it's great to have these different options that you can try 
So that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up soon for you in the next few episodes, I have Erin from Off on a Whim. Looking forward to talking to her. And also looking for new guests as well. And I'm hoping to have a a healer come on the show. Her name is Silke and she is someone I met in California last year and she's really lovely. So I'm looking forward to interviewing her very soon as well. So lots of good episodes coming for you. Please put yourself forward if you'd like to be featured on the Transformations with Jane podcast. I'd really love to talk to you. Please don't be um, scared or shy. And yeah, or please nominate someone who you'd like to hear from. I'm open to that as well. So have a lovely day and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. でした。キャットさんは、あの、大阪の近くのちょっと田舎の方に住んでますね。あの、旦那は日本人で、旦那の家族の隣に住んでるんですね。で、村の、あの、大体の皆さんは親戚らしくて、みんな同じ名前、中道っていう名前があるみたいですね。あの私と全然違う暮らし方はしてるのですごく興味があってあの私はまあ東北っていうんだけど田舎田舎って言えないですねちょっと町町に住んでるんですけどあの周りに親戚が一人もいない状態の私たちと全然違う暮らししてるので面白いなと思って。持ってますね。でも、旦那の実家となんか似てるかなと思って、旦那の実家は結構田舎の方で、あの、そう、ずっと同じところに住んでるから、もう本当にあそこの村の、あの、なんていうの、<笑>いつもいずっと前からいる家族。で、こっちは、あの、新しい住宅エリアなので、長いって言ったら20年ぐらいですね。なので、あの、みんな移住、移住してきた人ですね。ちょっと違う環境。なので、あんまり、あの、伝統的な行事とかはない近所ですね。私の近所は。で、キャットさんの方はもう伝統だらけみたいですね。面白い、面白いですね。で、あの、彼女はオーストラリアとイギリスの出身で、あの、でも一番長いのは日本って言ってましたね。私もそろそろそんな感じになりますね。あと、あと6年間ぐらい日本にいれば、ニュージーランドより長く<笑>なる可能性がありますね。で、子供が、あの、私の家族と同じみたいに子供2人がいて、で,でももうちょっとあの中学生と高校生の子供がいるのであのバイリンガルの育ち方のちょっとあのアドバイスというかどんなことをやったのかをちょっと聞きたかったんですね
でキャットさんの場合はあの親戚が隣に住んでるのでだあのキャットさんのお家はあは英語で隣のうちに行ったら日本語をしゃべるんですねなので One House One Language というシステムをやりましたで英語のハウスにいれば英語をしゃべるあの英語のテレビを見る英語の絵本とか読むで隣の日本,日本語のハウスに行ったら<笑>日本語でしゃべったり日本語の番組見,た見てもいいみたいな感じですね私たちはあの one, one parent one language というタイプのバイリンガルの育ち方をしてますね私は子供たちに英語で旦那は子供たちに日本語で私と旦那の間はあのまあ私で英語で喋ったり旦那は日本語で喋ったり私も日本語で喋ったり旦那は英語喋ったりあのなんか分かりやすい方法でやってますねあのお互いにあのなんていうのミスコミュニケーションがないように気をつけてコミュニケーションしようとしてるんですねで私のお家はあは日本語のテレビを見せない、あともう絵本は大体英語の絵本があるんですけど、そういうふうな環境で日本に住んでるので、い家の中は英語を守,る守らないとあのなん、もう 100% 日本語になってしまうっていうことになるのなりやすいですね。なのでまあ、いろんな育ち方があるんですね。なので、各家族の一番いい方法は何だって自分たちで決めて、あの、やるのは一番いいですね。あの、こ,これしかないなとかじゃないですね。あの、みな、皆さんのシチュエーションはそれぞれなので、あの、いろいろ試しながら<笑>やるしかないですね。でも、先輩の話聞くのは大好きですね。あの、これからあの娘もね1年生になって日本語の学校に通ってるのでこれから英語をあの日本語と同じようにあの上達するのはちょっと難しくなるのでより力入れないといけないんですね自然にな,れならないのでそうですねあの今日のエピソードすごく面白くてあのキャットみたいな日本文化が詳しい人はあの本当に素敵だなと思って着物も大好きであの多分キャットの,あの写真とか見たらたくさんの着物の写真が<笑>ありますね着物が大好きなあの,の方ですねでキャットさんの本もあの出版しましたのでぜひあの日本の伝統的なことをあの英語で説明したいなと思ってる方はすごくいいと思います、この本。なので、Amazon のリンクを、あの、この、あの、なんていうの ?Show notes?Show notes につけるので、ぜひ、あの、頼んだり、見に行ったり、図書館にお願いしたりしてください。で、もう、もう一つの本をこれから始まるんだって、なので、ぜひ、その、それも、あの、ま、まあ、ちょっと二十二2020年までかかるって言ってたんですけど、楽しみですね。素敵な話
。なので、皆さん、そこまでありがあの聞いてくれてありがとうございました。もし、あのコメントかあの、この人が出たらいいなと思っている方がいれば、ぜひあのお,なお願いしてください。ジェーンに連絡する方法は、あのインスタグラムのアットマーク、ジェイン・ナカタ、J-A-Y-N-E ・ナカタか、フェイスブックの Transformations with Jane のページにであのメッセージ書いてください。お待ちしています。じゃあ、See you next time!Have a good week!Bye bye!